You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Walter Dodge uh, is a guy who was a professional firefighter, and he was known as a smoke jumper. Now, smoke jumpers, if you're not familiar with that term, they're people who will jump out of airplanes and they will just parachute, they'll land right into the center of forest fires in hopes of being able to kind of stop the flames. Now, Dodge and his crew jumped into a plane to fight a fire at Man Gulch in central Montana. And as they parachuted in, it looked like a pretty normal operation. They headed single file down the gorge toward the Missouri River to kind of take on this fire. And he left his men in the middle of the gorge to scout kind of what was ahead. So he'd gotten within 100 feet of the fire, and there were three things that would change this man's life forever. The fire was much worse than he had uh, ever seen overhead, and it was causing the fire to move much more rapidly than he uh, expected. Second thing was the winds were blowing the fire above the gulch where his men, where he left his men, and all the way up to the ridge cutting off their escape route. So as he ran back to his men and ordered them to retreat, he realized in that moment that the gulch was in what is known as a transitional zone. Now, it's not a good thing when that happens. A forest fire rarely moves at more than four or five miles an hour, which smoke jumpers can usually outrun. But Man Gulch was part of a transitional zone. And again, this is an area where mountain forests transition to level plains and prairie grass. And in this particular case, the, the, the uh, prairie grass was shoulder high. It was bone dry, and it was just ready and waiting to explode uh, from just a single ember. And every firefighter knows you cannot outrun prairie grass. So he knew within a minute or two, he and his men were just going to be completely engulfed in the fire. As a matter of fact, sap and a few of the scattered trees around them what was superheating, and they were, it was just exploding like bullets going off everywhere. Smoke was as thick as fog, and ashes and embers were just falling, raining down upon them like snow. There was no escape. Dodge and his men, 15 of them, were trapped. And it looked like the only options available were to stand and burn up, turn and burn up, or run and burn up. They had about 60 seconds to live, and Dodge thought, we are out of options. There's no way out of here. We've all been in places like that in our lives, where we're kind of surrounded by fire. It may not be physical fires. It may be fires of other circumstances and situations where we just kind of felt like we had no other option. We had no way out. Oftentimes we think there's no option except to cheat on your taxes or to embezzle from your company or to pad your expense account. Sometimes we think there's no other option except to maybe cheat on your exam, cheat on your spouse, and there's no option maybe uh, other than compromising your conviction for the wrong thing and completely fail. There are no options except to give in, to give out, and to give up. And I think all of us have been there maybe a time or two 
Maybe some of you this morning, you kind of feel you're in one of those places right now. And last week we started a series called Out of Options. And we've been looking at real life biblical characters in real life situations who thought they were out of options. And the premise of the series is very simple. Just when you think you are out of options, there is always an option with God. Or there is what I call the God factor in which God enters in and God takes what is impossible to us and makes it possible because of him. Or as Jesus puts it in Matthew 19, 26, humanly speaking or from a human perspective, it looks impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So just when you think there is no way out, there is no other option, God intervenes on our behalf and God begins to open up to us ways we didn't see or know before. Today we're going to take a look at a very, very familiar and a famous story in the Old Testament book of Daniel, which I just believe is so relevant to where the world is today, to where our nation is today, to where maybe we are as a church today, to where maybe followers of Jesus are today. Daniel chapter 3 is a story about three young brave men who were eventually thrown into a fiery furnace. Why? because they were standing up for their biblical convictions. They were standing up for what they believed was right and what was God-honoring. Many of you probably remember this story, maybe you don't remember their names, but this story takes place over 2,600 years ago, but it is as up-to-date as today's headlines. Now again, it's important because sometimes our tendency is to kind of read the Old Testament and we kind of just relegate it back to something in the past. It's important when you read Bible stories, you're not just simply reading what has been done, but you are reading what God is also doing now. It is a testimony of what God has done and God will do again if and when needed. You're not just reading what God has said, but you are reading what God is saying and will continue to say. God is faithful to his word. God doesn't say one thing in the Old Testament and then contradict himself in the New Testament. What God says in the Old Testament is what God means today and what God will mean into the future. So there's a great lesson we all who are going to follow Jesus and stay true to his word need to understand as we face the coming days, weeks, months, and years right here in our nation. Here's the lesson. When facing the fire of persecution, take the heat. Take the heat. So this morning I wanted to share with you three spiritual principles you need to remember when you're confronted or you kind of find yourself in a situation where you can either stand for what is right or compromise with what is wrong. But for those of you that want to stand for what is right, the first principle is simply this, take courage from God. There are three parts to this story, and the story is pretty much set up in the first six verses of Daniel chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officials, officers, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. 
So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Just as we had talked about last week, because of Israel's disobedience and rebellion toward God, God had allowed the Jewish nation to be taken over, to be sieged by the Babylonians. And the Babylonians in turn had taken captive some of the finest young men in Israel. And they took them to Babylon in order to transform them and to make them into first class Babylonians. There they taught the Jewish captives the Babylonian language, their culture. They dressed them in their clothes. They had them read their books. They changed their Hebrew names into Babylonian names, all for the purpose of making them official servants to the king. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are a part of this official delegation that was summoned by Nebuchadnezzar to come there to the plains of Dura to see and to worship this statue he had made. Now at this time in history, King Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful monarch in the world. No one else before or since has ever ruled more people or property than Nebuchadnezzar. He was not only commander and chief of one of the most powerful armies on earth, he was what I would call the high priest of political correctness. Here was a man who wanted everyone to bow down to the same altar, worship the same God, and he wanted to ensure and enforce everybody participated. So he lifted up this golden image of a pagan God, and at the appointed time, he wanted everybody just to fall down on their knees and worship it. There were to be no exemptions, no exceptions. So essentially, by creating this statue, Nebuchadnezzar was introducing a new God to be worshiped among the many gods they already worshiped. So when they heard the music, they were to bow down and worship this new idol, and again, the alternative was, was to be thrown into a fiery furnace. So as the sound comes forth, the music plays, the masses bow down, there were three young Hebrew men who remained standing and their actions were reported back to the king, verse 12. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. These were men who were serving the king in high positions. So they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Now again, stop and think about that for a moment. Anybody and everybody who was somebody fell in line and did what they were told. They went along to get along, everybody except these three men. Like Daniel last week, these three young men could have rationalized and compromised so easily and no one would have noticed, no one would have cared. We hear stuff like this all the time. Well, I don't believe, I ought to let my beliefs interfere with my politics. I just need to keep them separate. Or everybody else is doing it. You know, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. 
Or does this sound familiar? I'll, I'll bow down on the outside, but I won't bow down on the inside. You know, or it's now legal, so I guess it must be right. No, no, no. See, abortion is legal, but it's not right. Gay marriage is legal, but it's not right. These three men do us a huge favor. They give us a powerful example. They show us what real faith looks like. Real faith means obeying God regardless of the feelings within us, the circumstances around us, or the consequences that lie before us. So by refusing to bow down and to worship this idol, these three men, they displayed a great deal of courage and faith in the midst of tremendous pressure to conform, to go along, to be like everyone else. We need to have God-given courage to stand for our convictions, what we believe the Bible teaches, what we believe to be right, even if it means standing alone. The only place you'll find this kind of courage, this kind of strength, this kind of fortitude is in God. And always remember this, when you stand for what is right, you never stand alone because God will always stand with you. Second principle, never lose your confidence in God. King Nebuchadnezzar, he hears about the disobedience of these three Jewish men, and he loses it. And his anger towards these three men and their refusal to worship is hotter than the fire in the furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar, because again, these are men who were high up in his administration, he decides to give these three men a second chance, another opportunity, and in the process, to spare their lives. So in verse 15, he makes them an offer they couldn't refuse. He says, I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power. Listen to that last statement. That is the million-dollar question you will always be asked when you are tempted to compromise, to give in, to go along, to get along, to take the bait, to get in line. Which God do you really serve? Do you serve the God of heaven, or do you serve the God of this world? And both gods are very real. Is your God strong enough? Do you trust your God? Do you really believe in God? What was their response? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. That's confidence. They basically say to Nebuchadnezzar, King, we are so confident in the realness, in the power, in the strength, the faithfulness of our God that we have no need to defend ourselves or to explain ourselves to you. You gotta love these guys. They don't fear, they don't flinch, they don't back down. They look this king square in the eye and they say, king, the time for talk is over. It's not up for debate, discussion, or deliberation. We may burn, but we won't bend, we won't bow, and we won't budge. 
In a storm, it's the tallest tree in the forest that is most likely to draw the lightning. And I'm here to tell you what, if you're going to take a stand for God, if you're going to stand tall for what is right, you're going to draw fire and you will face the heat. So here they are offered a second chance to do what everybody else had already done. And what is their response? Verse 17, if we are thrown into the burning blaze, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. So regardless of what happens, they were not going to walk into this life and death situation groaning, complaining, saying, woe is me. They're not there to have a pity party. If they were going to die, they were going to die faithful to their God. They were going to face the fire with faith and not fear. And the reason they had such great faith was because they knew they were placing it in a God who is more than able. That is something we should never, ever forget. Don't ever lose sight of that. We serve a God who is more than able. You know, as Janie and Tammy were up here sharing, I would say to you, all of the challenges, all of the goals that you have, as big, as difficult, as challenging as those may seem, you got to remember, you serve a God who is more than able. Paul essentially echoes this point in Ephesians 3.20, and he says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us. Who's the us? We are, aren't we? Isn't that what Paul's saying? Through his mighty power at work in you to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or think. That ought to blow your minds. What you are thinking, what you may ask, it's not even close to what God has and can do for you. Not because you're so able, but because God is so able. And because of the mighty power that is at work within you. See, scientifically, our God, he is able to make everything from nothing. Have you ever tried that? You ever tried to make something from nothing? It's impossible for us. But see, all things are possible with God. God created everything in this world from nothing. Our God is able to take grief and turn it into glory. Our God is able physically to take illness and turn it into healing. Spiritually, our God is able to take a rebellious heart and turn it into a redeemed, obedient, and serving heart. Eternally, our God is able to take the sunset of death and turn it into the sunrise of resurrection. Our God is more than able. What they say next is probably one of, the, one of the greatest faith statements of all time. Verse 18, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, Nebuchadnezzar, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Now put a circle around those words, but even if he doesn't, they'd already made up their heart and minds. 
There was no deliberation. They were set in their decision. They had already decided what was right and what was wrong. See, too many people spend too much time trying to make up their mind what they're going to do when they come face to face with a situation in which they're tempted to give in and to give up. You'd better make up your mind every day before you get out of bed whether you're gonna live for God or not, whether you're gonna obey God or not, whether you're gonna do what is right and honorable in God's eyes. I learned a long time ago, if you'll make just one big decision, it'll keep you from having to worry about a lot of little ones. That's true. You make just one big decision, it will keep you from having to make a bunch of little ones. These three men, they had already decided, we're gonna choose the fire. There's no other option, there's nothing else to think through. They were gonna take the heat. These three young men knew God could deliver them from the fiery furnace, but they just didn't know how he would deliver them. Whether God would either deliver them from it or through it. Either way, God was gonna deliver them. All they knew was they were gonna stand for God they were going to stand with God whether they lived or died. See, real faith is not the confidence that God will work out things the way you want it or the way you think it should be. It is the confidence that God will bring you through it, that God will work things out according to his plan. See, the truth is, when you take a stand for God, you may die. There are people every day in third world countries right now who are taking a stand for God and their faith in Jesus Christ, and because of that decision, they've died or are going to die. There are people today who may give up their lives because of their belief in Jesus Christ, their refusal to turn to other gods. See, if you love God and obey God, you may lose your job. If you take a stand for God, you may lose family and friends. Faith is not believing that you will live and not die because as long as Jesus tarries, people of faith, both great and small, are gonna die. A but if not faith understands that we can always, we can't always be sure of what is gonna happen, but we can always be sure of who is in control of what is going to happen. This is our confidence. And we believe that disappointment does not mean that God has disappeared. Death does not mean that God has failed. Difficulty does not mean that God is weak and out of control. If you face the fire and you have to take the heat, remember, God's eye is on the thermometer. His hand is always on the thermostat, and we can take the heat when it comes. Third principle is honor your commitment to God. Now, there's no small print in the contract, okay? If God delivered them from the furnace, they would live for him. If God delivered them through the furnace, they would live for him. Whether they lived or whether they died, they had made a commitment to God, and they were going to honor it. Nebuchadnezzar had an equally strong commitment to his God. These three men had their chance, and they blew it. So Nebuchadnezzar says, if it's the furnace you want, it's the furnace you're going to get. And unbeknownst to Nebuchadnezzar, this is where the fun began. 
Nebuchadnezzar is so furious at their refusal to worship the statue, he instructs the workers to make the furnace fire seven times hotter than it already was. As a matter of fact, some of Nebuchadnezzar's own men perished in trying to make that furnace hotter. The king was determined these men were going to go from rare to very well done in the flash of an eye. This punishment would also serve as a warning and a reminder to all of the onlookers, you had better step in line and you had better stay in line. And this is what happens next. Verse 23, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and ordered his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. They replied, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Three men are thrown into the furnace, but they also see a fourth man in there. Now, scholars debate whether this was the Son of God or someone like a Son of God. Many believe the reason why this fourth person looked like a Son of God is because he was the Son of God. I believe this was an Old Testament appearance of the New Testament, Jesus Regardless, Nebuchadnezzar now realizes these men, they can stay in there all day and they are not going to be harmed. So waving the white flag of surrender, we read this in verse 26, that Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And out they come. The ropes were completely burned off, but there was not a hair, there was not a thread on their clothes even singed. They weren't even smoking. So do the math. Verse 24 tells us three men went into the fire. Verse 25 tells us there were four men in the fire. Verse 26 tells us that three men came out of the fire. Where does that leave the fourth man? Well, he's still in the fire. See, when you take the heat for God, God will take the heat with you. Jesus didn't come into this world to get us out of difficulty. He came to get into difficulties with us. Remember Jesus told his disciples in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that, you, so that in me you have peace. Get this, in this world you will have troubles trials and tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's in it with you. You never need to fear the furnace. Here's the thing, do you realize if those three men had kept their mouths shut, minded their own business, gotten in line and done what they were told, they would have not been thrown into that furnace? And if they had not been thrown into that furnace, they would have never experienced the presence of God. They would have never enjoyed the power of God, or they would have never been enveloped by the protection of God. Do you see what they would have missed? If they just would have conformed? When you're tempted to take the coward's way out, to forsake your convictions, to compromise your integrity, or just to play it safe, you take God out of the picture. You take God out of the equation. 
You don't give God a chance to show how mighty he truly is. You don't give God a chance to show you how able he is. This is the opportunity to prove, to demonstrate, to show you that with God you can face any furnace and with God you can take any heat. Remember those firefighters we talked about at the beginning of the message who thought they were all out of options? It turns out they weren't. Dodge suddenly took out a match, lit it, and he threw it into the shoulder high grass in front of him. He and his men thought he had lost his mind because in, the, in an instant, the, the grass was just ablaze in a widening circle. And as the ring of this new fire spread, it started clearing an area of everything flammable. It wasn't much of a safety zone. It wasn't much of a buffer, but it's all they had. And he jumped over that blazing ring, moved to the very center of where the grass had already been burnt, wrapped a wet cloth around his face, got down onto the ground, and waited. The surging firewall came all the way around the circle. It leapt over the top because it found nothing to burn, because everything had already been burnt where he was. His hair wasn't even singed. It simply burned a hole in that raging fire. The tragedy is 13 of the 15 men saw what he had done and they decided they would be better off making a run for it and none of them made it. All of them perished in the fire. Only the men who realized the fire cannot go where fire had already been were saved. In other words, strangely enough, only the men who were willing to take the heat lived. 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked into a fiery furnace in the shape of a cross. He took the heat of God's wrath and anger against sin so you and I, we could have salvation. We could be forgiven of our sins. We could be redeemed, not from the fire of death, but have the light and life of eternal life. So for no other reason, every chance we get, we ought to take any heat for him because he took the greatest heat for us. Amen? This morning again, through the communion elements, the breaking of his body, when Jesus went to the cross, he said, my body is broken for you. He said, every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. He did that for our salvation. When he was finished, he took the cup and he lifted that cup up before his disciples and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Every time you do it, do it in remembrance of me. He took the heat for our sins through the shedding of his blood upon the cross so you and I could have forgiveness. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And Jesus understood his blood had to be shed in order for you and I to be forgiven. He took the heat for us. So when we come and we take that bread and we dip that in the juice and we take communion, it's a way of remembering. It's a way of thanking God the heat you took for me so that I could have salvation, that I could have forgiveness of my sins. And that's why we offer communion 
Because it's, again, it's just a time to remember and to give thanks for what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. So I invite the worship team to come up. As we just close in worship this morning, I want to just give you an opportunity to come and as you're ready just to take communion again, just take a cracker, dip it in the juice. We partake by intinction. Again, it is uh, a celebration for believers. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we would ask that you refrain from taking that because the Bible says you're just eating and drinking uh, damnation unto yourself. So we don't want you to be doing that this morning. If you're here this morning and you're maybe not in, in a right place with God, maybe there's some areas in your heart that need to be dealt with this morning, we would just encourage you, take a few moments, settle those, get those things right with God. This is what the blood of Jesus Christ is for. It's for you this morning just to say, God, would you just forgive me for this area? God, maybe you've been rebellious in an area or not being obedient. It's an opportunity for you to just kind of get that right with God and then come and just celebrate again the fact that God has forgiven you, that God's wiped the slate clean again, that things are good, you're in right standing with him this morning. So I wanna give you an opportunity to do that as you're ready here this morning. And again, just a reminder um, that as soon as service is over, we would ask that you kind of uh, exit the building as quickly uh, as you can. No need to stampede, um, but just, <laughs> you know, uh, because we know the people from Alliant Energy want to get started uh, on their work this morning, so they just need to cut the power to all of the building. It's not just our building, but all the buildings in this area. Uh, they just need to get that started and get that switched over. So we promised them we would uh, try to get the building evacuated as quickly as possible. So if you could just help us in that by getting kids picked up. Uh, there's no praise cafe, so there's nothing else downstairs. So uh, if you just get your kids and just exit as you know quickly and safely as possible, we would appreciate that. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you so much for this story, God. Again, it's just a reminder, God, of those times that we're just going to be called to take the heat for standing on what is right, what is true. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that you'll just give us again that courage, that confidence in you. That, God, when we have to make those difficult stands, when we have to take that heat, that, God, we would just remember, God, we're not in this alone. And that, God, you are more than able to deliver us as you were those three in the fiery furnace. So, God, I just pray, Lord, again, that you would use this to remind us when we stand in those difficult moments where we're maybe tempted to compromise and to give in, that, God, we would remember this story. And that, God, like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, God, that we would be imitators of their faith, of their strength, of their confidence in you. God, I pray, Lord, for maybe those this morning that maybe have compromised. Again, we just thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed upon that cross, that we can be forgiven, that the slate can be wiped clean, that we can start again afresh and anew, that we can again be in right standing with you. And so, Father, we just thank you for that. God, I just ask, Lord, that you'll strengthen each of us, God, that we can leave this place, that, God, we can live for you, we can honor you, and we can honor your word over our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.